one of your Earth emotions. Glad I found you. Let's get married. Delete the wife. Welcome back to Deep Space Love, the Star Trek podcast where a married Trekkie couple explore love in all its forms throughout the final frontier. I'm Nicole, one of your hosts. And I'm Joe, one of the other hosts. The only other host. The, the only other host. Yep, the only one. <laughs> so today we have a different kind of episode for you. A kind of bonus, you might say. A bonus. Yeah, plus, extra, add-on. Those are other synonyms for bonus. Thank you for that language. Addition, you might, you might say. <laughs> We're kind of... Um, stepping out of the trek universe for this one yeah we are we're uh changing it up a little bit we had thought about uh expanding some of the podcasts that we do into the realm of sci-fi outside of star trek so this episode we have something really special for all you listeners we are going to be interviewing trey calloway who uh was the showrunner of a kind of little known series back in the 90s called mercy point which is uh, a really wonderful gem of a sci-fi show that is, in our opinion, incredibly, incredibly underrated and sadly cut way too short. Um, but it tells the story of a, a group of doctors, nurses, surgeons, orderlies, people who work in a hospital, but it's set uh, on a space station far, far from Earth. And um, it's in Trey Calloway, creator of the series, showrunner, uh, was gracious enough to come onto the podcast and talk about uh, talk about the series and talk about his inspirations and kind of how the series went and how it ended. So uh, it's a fun conversation. Yeah, and I mean, and if you want something very Trek-like, but that's not quite in the universe, I mean, we highly recommend it. Yeah, they, there's a lot to a, a lot to appeal to a Trek the Trek fans in us. Like, uh, there are elements. There, are, I mean, I think we even notice a few crossover actors, but. Uh, just the general like sci-fi, the moral dilemmas that the characters face, the kind of episodic nature is very classic, classic Star Trek in nature. It was as we get into the in the interview, it was designed to be a companion piece to Star Trek Voyager at the time on UPN. So it's interesting to see those comparisons, and it's interesting to hear uh, kind of Trey talk about it in that way. Yeah. So without much uh, further ado, um, please enjoy our interview with Trey Callaway. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It is my absolute pleasure. Um, before we get into sci-fi stuff, Mercy Point and whatnot, uh, would you be willing to share just for some of our listeners some of the some of your works uh, that uh, maybe people might know you from, or what maybe oh. what you're working on right now? Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, actually. <laughs> Uh, somebody recently did this for me. I, I, I guess I have now written and produced, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 hours worth of content, Damn. uh, which explains all of my hair loss. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, look, I, I have worked back and forth from features to television. Uh, I wrote the movie. I still know what you did last summer, uh, which if you like, Jennifer Love Hewitt and and uh, and uh, Brandy and bikinis is probably your Citizen Kane. Um, 
But uh, no, beyond that, uh, lots and lots and lots of hours of television. I have contributed to a lot of other features, but uh, I would say the bulk of my work has been in television, beginning with Mercy Point, but then including six seasons and 130 episodes of CSI New York, um, the Rush Hour series, Revolution uh, on NBC, Supernatural uh, on on the CW. Um, I uh, I ran a series called The Messengers on the CW and was the co-showrunner of a uh, of a crime drama on on Fox uh, called APB. Most recently, I was one of the executive producers of Nine One One Lone Star on Fox, and I'm currently doing uh, a pilot for Netflix. Oh, exciting! We'll have to keep our eyes up for that for sure. Definitely. Um, and I think you mentioned last time we chatted, you're also doing some teaching. Yeah, for 17 years, my my side hustle <laughs> has been uh, as a professor in the film school, the School of Cinematic Arts at USC, which is uh, where I went to school as an undergrad and ultimately graduated. So I've come full circle on that. But uh, yeah, I've been been teaching there. This is my 17th year. So 17 years. Wow. Well, congrats. I know. I I, I joked recently uh, at a faculty meeting. I'm I'm getting dangerously close to gold watch territory. <laughs> uh, and and then they all like like good uh, you know university administrators they all laughed and said you'll be lucky to get free parking. So, <laughs> of course, yeah. sounds about right. That's Hollywood. Yeah. Well, yeah, quite the resume. Quite the resume. Well, thank you. Uh, I at this point I have literally uh, you know written myself into a corner. I'm not sure what else I would do. So uh, <laughs> the good news is it's the greatest job in the history of jobs, and uh, there's nothing else I'd want to do. Yeah, do what you love. Exactly. Um, so anyway, we're here to chat mostly about Mercy Point. Um, our podcast tends to be, is pretty much a Star Trek podcast, but uh, we're, we're, we're kind of diversifying it up and bringing in more uh, sci-fi properties. And we, uh, I recently discovered Mercy Point on Crackle, <laughs> which uh, was a really fun discovery for me. And uh, we just, I rewatched it throughout the last couple of weeks and Nicole here watched it with me the second time through and, and, and really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. So, uh, it was, a, it was a fun discovery for me too, by the way, because <laughs> had you not told me it was on crackle, I would have had no idea. And same with the rest of the cast and crew. So, uh, thank you for that. Oh, you told them too. That's awesome. I, I did. Oh yeah. I'm glad to be the, the bearer of that news. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, uh, just, just, uh, going into it then, uh, let's start at the beginning. So you, you told me it was originally conceived as a feature film, Nightingale one. Can you, uh, give just like a brief overview of how it, how Nightingale one turned into Mercy Point? Yeah, it was a really interesting situation. I, I went in, um, to, I met with a a group of, uh, producers, Anne-Marie Gillen, Jody Price were independent producers and, uh, they, and a gentleman named Milo Frank and, uh, I had an idea for sort of a space station hospital kind of a drama. And, uh, and, uh, so ultimately that became a feature called Nightingale one. And, uh, because Milo Frank, who had been, a an agent in his past and a, a writer as well, had had a similar idea. He sort of infused some of his ideas into, into, uh, into my concept. And then that became this feature called Nightingale one which uh, was an original, started as an original pitch that I sold to Peter Goober and uh, his group at Mandalay, um, who were at Columbia, Sony. And, uh, and I remember when I pitched it to Mr. Goober and the rest of his team, 
as a feature, uh, I kind of made a joke at the end of my pitch uh, saying, and oh, by the way, this would also make a killer TV series. And they all kind of laughed politely. And then to their credit, they bought it as a feature and I developed it as a feature at Sony. And, uh, and then right around the time I released my draft of the feature, um, the studio released Starship Troopers, which uh, was not a, a tremendous success um, at the box office. And so because of that, I think the studio sort of lost their, their, uh, <laughs> their appetite for um, science fiction, or at least, uh, you know, at that period. And so I kind of thought, well, that's the end of it until one of the executives who had been in that original feature pitch, who happened to work at Mandalay Television, the late, great Joe Voci, called me up and said, uh, hey, I remember you made a joke at the end of your pitch, and uh, I didn't think it was funny. And so I agreed with you that it would make a good series. That's why I took your latest draft of the screenplay. I sent it to the president of UPN, and they want to meet with you about adapting it into a TV series. And, uh, and that began that process. Wow. What a journey. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was it, it. It only got longer from there, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's how that's how the whole thing began. That's kind of kind of a cool story. Um, I think I suppose we should give like a kind of a brief brief overview of what Mercy Point is about for some of our listeners. Uh, so just to kind of uh, in a very general sense, it's it's about the space station of the the doctors, the staff, the nurses who uh, work on the space station Mercy Point, and it's the Sahardic Expanse, is what it was called, correct? Uh, it's perched right at the edge of the Sahardic Divide, which, Sahardic was, divide. which is the furthest known point of human exploration in space. Yeah. And the, the cool thing is it's it's meant to be kind of a great experiment of this like meeting point, this hospital for both alien species and humans to kind of like coexist and be treated in the same point. And we have characters who are alien physiologists and we have alien doctors there. And so it's a it's a really interesting um, display for sci-fi fans of like different alien makeup and alien races that we get to meet as well as some really great human casts. So that's if uh, unless you want to add something to that, Trey, that I think that's a general overview of what the the story became? I think it's a great overview. It was influenced, I have to say, directly by the fact that I was a new pet owner at the time. I had a new cat. Uh, my wife and I had a cat named Katmandu, God rest his soul. <laughs> and uh, Katmandu got sick once, and I remember taking him to the vet. And I remember watching this vet intently uh, go from a couple of patients before me to me, ultimately rendering medicine and medical advice and treatment to uh, to a parrot, to a couple of dogs, uh, to a cat. And I just remember thinking, this is amazing that that someone has to treat all of these different species and has to find, you know, common ground between each of them. Um, but at the same time, you know, really embrace the differences. And, uh, and, and so that, that definitely influenced that notion of humans and aliens serving together on board this experimental station and having to render treatment to all different kinds of species from around the galaxy. I love that as an inspiration source. Um, that's fascinating. And like, yeah, veterinarians are, are definitely rock stars. They're amazing. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a really great parallel for like the seed of that idea. Uh, what are some of your other, or not other, I guess, but your genre inspirations or fandoms that maybe played into this or any of the other properties? 
Well, look, we wouldn't be having this conversation if in the summer of 1977, I hadn't spent every dime I made mowing people's lawns in Tulsa, Oklahoma to go see Star Wars 11 times in a row at Fox <laughs> Theater. Um, that was where I was just sort of first blown away by this notion that, you know, a couple hundred people get together and create these worlds for audiences to enjoy. Um, so that was definitely uh, an inspiration. Um you know, I was also a Trekkie and still a Trekkie. Um, so uh, that notion of, you know, finding finding humanity, um, even at the furthest stretches of uh, of the universe, um, was definitely an, a, a point of inspiration. Um, and I would say uh, uh, ER was a, a huge point of inspiration for Mercy Point, um, both in terms of pacing and visual design. And of course, at the time, ER was, uh, was the, the biggest hit series on, on television. Um, but uh, it definitely inspired me in terms of what I, the universe I wanted to create, which, which had to have that same sort of life and death stakes intensity uh, and constant movement and, and high pacing. So it was a, it was sort of a blend of of all of those things, I think. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, we've heard that it was often called ER in space. Um, yeah. it was. It How was did indeed. you? Oh, go ahead. No, no, I said it was indeed. Okay, great. And so, combining the tropes of of science fiction shows and medical dramas, how did how did that kind of combining um, that melding happen? Well, it was one of my favorite things about it, and I think it was what. Uh, we all enjoyed the most in the writer's room, which was, you know, <clears throat> let's examine um, any number of cases that uh, emergency physicians might encounter in a hospital uh, in, in real life human terms. And then let's tilt them on, on their axis by, you know, reexamining them through the filter of the 23rd century and what it would mean to be in a, a space station uh, hospital. And, uh, and so, you know, okay, at the time, for example, uh, my wife had been an Olympic gymnast um, in her youth. And, uh, wow. and so, you know, let's, let's examine what it would mean to be a gymnast in the 23rd century. What does, what does, what does competition look like? Uh, because, you know, if you, it's always fascinating to me to look at uh, Olympic competition, especially when they'll stack up, you know, here's what the gold medalist time was for swimming, uh, the hundred yard dash in 1940 and 1960 and 1980 and today. And it's just stunning to me how, how much faster, uh, everyone continually goes or how, you know, that the way the level of competition is, is increased. And, and I always think to myself when I'm watching the Olympics, you know, when do we, when do we reach the outside extent of our ability to, to, you know, to evolve uh, as athletes? And Mercy Point was the perfect example of an opportunity to really dive into that and like, okay, well, what would gymnastics look like in the 23rd century? Well, if we, if gymnasts continue to compete the way are, the way they are now, I could foresee a time when there's zero, zero gravity gymnastics. Um, and then what does it mean if you're hurt while competing? Uh, and how is it treated and how would that treatment differ? So it was just really, it was a great thought experiment on a daily basis for the writer's room to be able to dive into that stuff. You know, the tropes certainly of a medical drama, the life and death stakes, 
um, this, which is the primary reason why people like to watch medical drama. But then, you know, through that sci-fi lens, it really allowed you to expand it in all kinds of ways that, you know, my friends who were on the writing staff of ER could not have done. No kidding. Um, so going to the more science fiction side of things, uh, one of the things that I think we as like Trekkies and, and sci-fi nerds really enjoyed was seeing the different alien races that, mm -hmm. uh, that you kind of bring into the show. <clears throat> and given that it's only seven episodes, like I know you didn't get a whole lot of chances to dive into the cultures of those races, but I think the one we get the most of is the Shenik culture with Dr. Batung or Jordan Lund's character. Yeah. Um, did you, well, so I remember that we had the, um, there was the moment where he brings out his stones and kind of does that like ritual healing practices that was only done in, in his culture. And we learn a little bit about kind of uh, their attitudes towards humans and sort of like they're a little bit more combative, combative nature or private nature as well. Um, did you have some of that like cultural stuff mapped out and for for maybe more of the, the Shenik people as well as other races that you kind of teased or introduced were there other cultures you wanted to dig further into yeah absolutely i mean I, I think a lot of that was influenced by the sort of classic you know human notion of eastern versus western medicine um and so we wanted to play mm -hmm. with with oh, yeah. that uh with dr patung's character you know i remember at the time i would like many writers i was suffering some lower back pain and i had been to you know, a variety of orthopedic people and had physical therapy and, uh, you know, the, uh, the cortisone shots and all that stuff that is, the, that is the epitome of Western medicine. And then I finally, to my great surprise, as, you know, someone who was definitely a Pepto-Bismol kid, you know, the sort of Western medicine, classic Western medicine kid, you know, uh, I wound up going to see a, a Qigong master in Monterey Park here in Los Angeles, uh, hmm. who, you know, uh, what, whatever kind of medicine he did, uh, and I, I won't even claim to begin to understand, uh, how it worked. It gave me greater relief than, than anything else I had experienced previously. And was wow. a real eye opener for me in that regard and kind of introduced me as well to acupuncture at the time. And, and so, you know, I, I, because as a human being, I have continued to keep a foot in both of those worlds, Eastern and Western medicine. I definitely wanted to embrace that with Mercy Point uh, through the Shenick culture, as you mentioned. But but I also wanted to try and find at every opportunity, you know, the sort of culture clash of what it means to put, you know, these different species on board with their different levels of expertise uh, together and and explore how they have to uh, work with each other and how their systems might not always overlap and might not always agree with each other. So there were certainly plans on board to explore more of that and and to explore more of that again to go back to the veterinary uh, reality of it. Like what happens when you are having to treat a species that you have no previous experience treating. Uh, and also what happens when there are certain cultural sensitivities that you have to keep in mind while you're trying to render emergency medicine. Those are things that we, we really wanted to lean even more into. And what's interesting too, is there had been an entire, uh, pilot presentation filmed, um, before the series was picked up, uh, pilot presentation. If you're not familiar with that 
term is, you know, sometimes when a studio isn't ready to spend the full money for a full pilot, they'll have you do a 15 to 20 minute pilot presentation, which is sort of a short form proof of concept version of it. And by the way, with a decidedly lower budget. Um, and so that pilot presentation had been shot here in Los Angeles and uh, they're all different sets, all different costumes, different casting uh, to a certain extent. Um, but what, what was also different about it was it was, it leaned much further into, uh, the alien, uh, side of the equation. And it, it literally opened with, uh, Joe Morton's character of Grote Maxwell, uh, having to shove his arm down the throat of a creature called a thwack, uh, <laughs> yeah. to, to keep it alive. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a much more gritty and much more in your face uh, interaction between humans and alien species that was designed to set the tone for what we wanted to do. I think ultimately there were a variety of changes for series um, at the network's request that kind of pushed us away from that to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was always going to be a cornerstone of this was, was aliens and humans rubbing shoulders, but also knocking heads at times. Uh, over the differences in care and treatment that were required from multitudes of species. Yeah. And I, we both noted, I think uh, we love that element. Um, with, speaking of the gymnast that you're talking about, the second episode with the gymnast character, how Dr. Patung had to kind of like check his own attitudes towards like human culture in terms right. of how he treated that patient. And it was interesting uh to see that. Cause I, I mean, I, we both noted that like in like a lot of the star Trek shows or other shows where there's like medical episodes, usually it's like a human having to understand a different culture. And it's interesting to see that kind of flipped on its head. Yeah, that was the goal. That was absolutely the goal. And, and it was also the goal with nothing but love and respect for the star Trek universe, oh, yeah. you know, m medically speaking in the star Trek universe, it often came down to whether it was bones or, or anyone else sort of waving a magic wand over, over a patient <laughs> and, and fixing them. And that's fine because it wasn't designed to be a medical drama. Although I still, uh, I'm still in the, in the ears of the folks at Roddenberry, uh, trying to, trying to create, you know, a, a, a medical show within the Star Trek universe. But oh, I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, we, we wanted to get our hands a little dirtier than that. So, yeah. uh, so Mercy Point was definitely trying to uh, push the envelope, probably further than we were able to do at the time, because there were a lot of uh, constraints, not just budgetarily, but just in terms of um, effects that were available at the time. I think we were a little bit ahead of the curve in that regard. But, um, but yeah, that was the that was the goal is to sort of keep it constantly rotating on that axis uh, of the clash of cultures, the 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 need to embrace other cultures. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, like I said, the need to get your hands dirty, whether you were a human or an alien, uh, in the interest of saving lives. Yeah. And just a, just a quick aside, um, when we were watching, uh, like Dr. Patung interact with other characters, I think, uh, we were reminded of like in Star Trek, there's the, the Tellarite yeah. race that, that kind of has this like aggressive attitude and you have to like kind of show aggression back to kind of gain respect. Mm -hmm. And I, and I thought that was funny that we were thinking of that because we were looked up Jordan London. Hey, he actually played a Tellarite in, in Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Uh, super perfect. <laughs> um. So, I mean, yes, we just talked about Dr. Batung a lot, but who were some of the characters that were the most fun to play with? Uh, 
play around with while writing for the show? And which character arcs do you most wish had gotten fleshed out? Oh, my goodness. More ser- uh, um, you know, I I, uh, I certainly loved uh, working with Dr. Tongue's character. Jordan Lund was just an absolute sweetheart and was subjected <laughs> to so much just absolute torture. Uh, but, but, I, but I would say also um, there were kind of three other characters that I really enjoyed um, uh, developing. One, one, and God knows we were again ahead of the time, ahead of the curve here, but uh, Julia Pennington's character of Ani, the Android nursing in- interface. Um, oh, yes. I think that was, uh, that was something that we really had a lot of fun um, developing in the writer's room. Um, again, to, to embrace that sort of clash of cultures of, you know, what it, what it means to other human nurses or frankly other uh, extraterrestrial nurses to feel like they have to compete with, you know, um, this Android nursing interface that, that uh, has, you know, all of this multi-species information at her fingertips at all times. So that was, uh, that was fun uh, in terms of creating conflict. Uh, I, I think also uh, Brian McNamara's character of of CJ uh, was fun just because I, I was a huge fan as a kid, not to date myself, but it's too late. Um, uh, as a huge fan, as a, as a kid, I was a huge fan of Emergency, uh, which was a, kind of the earliest, at least that I knew of, prototypical uh, emergency rescue series that was set on a Southern California fire department, but also, um, played heavily on, on the world of paramedics. And, uh, and so to sort of, uh, lean into a character like that, who, you know, is an adrenaline junkie of sorts, who is the boots on the ground or, you know, the anti-gravity boots on the ground, um, character who really, really gets into the thick of it. Uh, I think that was, that was fun, uh, for, for those sorts of triage action purposes. And, um, and then, uh, Dr. Rima cook, um, who was performed beautifully by gay Thomas Wilson. Uh, I just thought was really interesting to sort of explore, um, again, what a 23rd century spin on psychology or psychiatry might look like, um, how technology might enable us to, to take a much deeper dive into the psyche of um, species of all kinds. I think those were, those were characters that I know we all had a great deal of fun developing. Not that we didn't thoroughly enjoy, you know, uh, Dr. Maxwell, Dr. Breslauer and her sister, all, all of those, all, all of the soapy dynamics, all of the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the administrative Joe Spano was amazing as Harris DeMilla, like all, all of that stuff was great, but you know, the ones that that really sort of challenged us, I think, would would probably be Ani and Dr. Cook and and CJ. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I, I, we also what I mean, I, you could see seeds being planted, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's tough how like quickly um, we didn't get to, you know see some of those things fleshed out but they were really great seeds that were planted and um some really cool stuff that was seen from like uh, uh even in those first few episodes with Ani and um like the, the tech you mentioned like the psychiatric tech was really cool too the one where they um are replaying the accident from the um uh 
the crash, the pilot, there's the pilot that crashed and um, she's basically dying. And like mm-hmm. that, that was really, that was a really cool concept to see, um, to see played out in the whole um, issue there with the investigator. And yeah, that whole episode is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, you know, I think in terms of <clears throat> long-term stuff that we really had hoped to play with and, and certainly had it on the boards, uh, you know, I know we introduced this concept in the series of homesickness. Yes. And um, and that was a word that popped up in the writer's room one day um, just by accident. Someone was talking about uh, – one of the writers was talking about being homesick, wanting to go home uh, before the holidays and hadn't been home in a while. And I thought – I suddenly, because my mind was in that space at the time, <clears throat> I thought of, you know, what, what if homesickness was an actual um, – you know, medical, physical affliction, um, an illness. And, and we started talking about what it might mean, you know, given the realities of long distance space travel, if you are working, if you're serving on board a space station like Mercy Point, you're a long way from home if you're a human being. Um, uh, and then also this notion of, you know, there might be lots of people at that point who had never been on earth at all, uh, who might've been born on, other space stations or on spacecraft and had never actually set foot on earth. And the notion of human beings as a species uh, needing to feel grounded emotionally and physically, maybe spiritually um, on our home planet and, uh, and what, what the consequences might be medically of not being on earth for a long time. Um, that became something that really fascinated us. And so we really started to explore um, that notion of homesickness and, and plan to do a lot more with it, um, most notably with, with Joe Morton's character of Dr. Maxwell. Okay, that would have been really, really fascinating to see. Absolutely. Another interesting element um, to the universe that you had there was the presence of the military mm-hmm. and uh, L- Lieutenant Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the CJ's girlfriend character. Yeah, Lieutenant um, Salisaw, Kim Salisaw, yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of development with her in that small amount of time that she was able to be on the screen. Were there plans to make her or even just the military uh, itself a bigger part of the show if it had progressed? Yeah, definitely. Um, because Mercy Point as a station, like I said before, was at the farthest you know, edge of the known explored galaxy, it also became sort of an outpost um, of, of some military significance. And, and it also became, uh, at least we had plans for it to become sort of a bit of an intelligence clearinghouse because you have all of these different species who have needs to be treated, but may also have information that could be of value to, um, to military officials. And so our, our goal was to introduce Sally Richardson's character of Lieutenant Salisaw as, you know, as a romantic uh, interest for CJ, but uh, initially, but then ultimately we were going to use her to sort of stir, kick a hornet's nest of sort, uh, to stir up conflict um, between different species because, you know, uh, while physicians have that sort of classic universal oath to do no harm, um, military, uh, folks don't necessarily have that same oath. They have different oaths. And, yeah. um, and so, yeah, there, there were certainly plans on the boards to, to use Lieutenant Salisaw and her connections 
um, to military forces as a source of, of conflict. Um, and, you know, I don't know if we were ever going to go as far, you know, for, for you guys as Trekkies as a Klingon war, but probably, <laughs> especially since we were, uh, you know, Mercy Point, you have to remember, was, was picked up by UPN to be a companion to Star Trek Voyager. Um, and so we, we definitely wanted to, to at least entertain some of, some of those same dynamics that were, you know, rooted in conflict, like all good drama. Um, and, uh, as wide as the universe may be, it, it's still not wide enough to, <laughs> to keep different species from fighting with each other. So, uh, that's that, the, that military angle was going to be critical in that respect. It's fascinating and really interesting to see play out for sure. Yeah, Sally Richardson Whitfield is an amazing. She was an amazing performer, but she's also an amazing director. I haven't gotten to work with her as a director, although I've been on set with her when I was on CSI New York. I remember she was uh, she came to visit set, and um, she may have actually directed for us. I can't remember, but um, that was the last time, or I hadn't seen her since Mercy Point, and uh, she now has a, a, a tremendously successful director uh, career as a director. So that's so cool. Awesome. Um. So I was just thinking like of our, of the seven episodes, like my favorite kind of arc was the two part between the no mercy and battle scars, that kind of conflict of the alien patients dying at a faster rate. And then there's that investigator interviewing. I really liked the kind of the sequences of them interviewing the different cast members and we get glimpses into their characters that, uh, in just kind of a unique way, that's a unique way to use exposition in that way. Um, it was, a, it was also just a really good interrogation of the show's premise in general, just like looking at like, does this great experience experiment work and like the idealism versus like the conflict of it. And um, I really enjoyed that. And so I was just wondering, is there um, like a specific favorite episode or arc that you guys were able to actually put on screen that you're like, oh, we really nailed that. Or I'm really happy with how that turned out. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm sh I'm quite certain, first of all, that both of you remember this show better than I do at this point. We just watched it last week, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say you you spoke to it beautifully in terms of that sort of constant collision between, um, uh, you know, idealism and reality uh, of what it means to serve multiple species. And although, uh, you know, my my primary goal was to finish every episode with some sense of hope that yes, although it may be sticky and complicated, uh, this is a worthwhile experiment and, 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 and there is hope, uh, in what it represents, you know, uh, it, it is conflict that keeps people tuned in. And so, mm -hmm. you know, those, those two episodes you mentioned were absolutely designed to lean into that, um, that conflict and also to really, kick the tires on our own concept. You know, it's like, <clears throat> um, it's more prevalent now in, in sort of human resources culture in, 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 by the way, some of the best ways imaginable. But, you know, back then when we were making the show, it was, it was really interesting to explore a doctor being questioned, uh, over the decisions that they made in the heat of the moment uh, you know, again, trying to honor oaths and do the best they can, you know, what does doing the best you can mean when you're treating someone who is not like yourself? And, um, and so we really, we really leaned into that, um, and wanted to do certainly much more of that, you know, in terms of 
where did I think we really nailed it? Uh, it, it all happened so fast. Um, <laughs> and we were just starting to find our, our, our legs when it was suddenly over quite unexpectedly. Um, I, I think probably for me, uh, it's, it's a toss up. It's a toss up, um, between, uh, persistence of vision, um, if that's the right one, let me see. No, no, I would say new arrivals, okay. new arrivals, I, I, I beg your pardon, opposing views, opposing views, which is the second episode, um, mattered to me because it, it not only took some of the elements from the, the original pilot presentation and gave new life to them. Um, but it was, it was, uh, the, the first one that, that I, that I wrote from beginning to end. Hmm. Um, and so I, I, that one sort of has a, a sweet place in my heart. Um, but I think the, the other one is, um, the episode that was written by my uh, my dear late friend Gary Glassberg. Mm. Uh, Gary Glassberg uh, went on to he had had a uh, uh, he'd worked on a number of shows before Mercy Point, but he went on to ultimately create. Um, he was the showrunner of NCIS for many seasons, wow. and he and he was the creator of NCIS Nola. Um, he was one of my dearest friends in life who, who sadly left us far too early and, uh, quite unexpectedly, but, um, the, the episode that he wrote, and I'm trying to remember if it was second chances or last resort. Um, so sorry, I can't remember the, the exact episode, but I remember, Loving that episode because it was Gary demonstrating what Gary did best, which was, you know, uh, to sort of go back to the to the veterinary uh, example. I, I often refer to this and have ever since Mercy Point. Uh, I refer to it as the veterinary school of storytelling, hmm. which is when your when your pet needs a is sick, God forbid, and needs some kind of medication and you take them to the vet. The vet always says some version of the same thing, which is, uh, here's the medicine, wrap it in a snack. And, uh, Gary was expert at that. Gary, um, would take you on a ride, whether it was Mercy Point or, uh, or all those years of NCIS, he would take you on a ride, but then the meds would be wrapped in that snack. And by the end of the episode, you would have the feels, <laughs> Uh, your your mind would be racing. You you would be thinking about things and feeling things that you didn't expect. And he was masterful at that. So uh, forgive me for not remembering the exact title, but I remember <laughs> uh, his episode is a perfect example of that. It's and um, he'd probably he was probably well capable of that uh, long before he came to Mercy Point. But he sort of set a tone um, for the rest of us in that process. And so I, I've I've tried to honor him in that way ever since, because, uh, it was a definitely a valuable lesson I learned from, from his writing. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. You, um, how was voicing the, uh, Hippocrates AI, <laughs> which I love that name and like the nickname hip. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you. It was accidental to answer your question. Um, <laughs> 
you know, uh, we, uh, so I knew, I knew a couple of things. One, again, I wanted to embrace 23rd century technology, whatever that meant in the wildest stretches of our imagination. Um, but I also knew from watching ER, one thing I always, and, and frankly, every uh, medical drama prior to that, one thing I always felt bad for actors, uh, uh, over was like, okay, hard enough to just be in the moment and embrace the intensity of, of saving someone's life. But when you have to spew all of this mumbo jumbo, if mm -hmm. medical professionals in your audience will forgive me, um, and you're not an actual trained physician, I, I always felt for actors having to do that. And so I thought, okay, well, how could we improve that in the 23rd century? Well, I can tell you one thing, there would be some kind of AI interface and, and that, you know, that computer would be your diagnostic source of treatment information in the moment. And, uh, and so that's how the character of Hippocrates was, was born. And it was voiced by, uh, a different actor in that pilot presentation. And, um, and for whatever reason, when the network picked us up to series, one of the notes they gave me was, uh, we, we love the actor that you had cast for Hippocrates, but, uh, we think tonally he feels a little too human. And, um, <laughs> and, and so we'd, we'd like, what we'd like, frankly, is, uh, something more like the voice that we heard in the, in the temp cuts, in the, in the, in the directors and editors temp cuts, um, and, and that's what we're really looking for. We really like that voice. Who is that voice? And I said, well, that voice was me. <laughs> uh, and they said, well, great. You should do it then. Wow. Uh, so uh, long story short, that's how I got my SAG card. Uh, but then uh, be careful what you – well, I didn't exactly wish for it. But I, I guess the, the, the moral of the story is be careful what you write because then I was the guy who suddenly had to – <laughs> uh, offer up all that mumbo jumbo in the heat of the moment. Uh, so, you know, I think, um, you know, I think Joe Morton and Maria Del Mar and, uh, and Alexandra Wilson, um, Jordan Lund, all of them were happy to have me do it. Uh, so they could just, you know, be in the moment and be focused on those life and death stakes. And then I was the, the, the jerk wad computer who had to spew all that gobbledygook so you know we had a medical consultant for the show who would then look at the you know the real world sort of grounded human aspects of the medicine and would give me you know that correct lingo and then we would revise it through that 23rd century uh lens and uh and then i had to i had to deliver all of it so that's how it worked that's how i became hippocrates that was great, actually. I love that. Um, so I, um, I'm going off. I'm going off our prepared questions now. So Nicole might be giving me a look here, but I was like, uh, improvisation is key. <laughs> I I wanted to just. I feel like I would be remiss without mentioning like your your cast that you you guys have. You have such a wonderful cast and mixture of like newer actors at the time and veterans, but particularly I wanted to give a shout out to Joe Morton, kind of the one of the veteran like genre actors you had there on sets from the, from Terminator. And more recently now people might see, I've seen him in justice league and other things. Um, like what was it like to work with, with like someone with like him on set? Oh, I loved him so much. I still do. Um, we were so excited, uh, when Joe signed on, um, he was exactly the, the perfect performer that we wanted and needed, uh, for the character of Grote Maxwell. We wanted somebody who seemed, just um, inherently curious, 
um, but loving, um, compassionate, uh, but deeply intelligent. Uh, he, he just ticked off every box in that regard. Um, so I, I could not have been more excited, uh, to get him cast in this role. And, and then when I finally got a chance to meet him in Vancouver, uh, for the first time and realize, wow, not only is he a, a bona fide, amazing human being, but, uh, he is also the person I will credit, uh, for the rest of my life with introducing me to the many joys of single malt, uh, scotch. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I just, uh, I fell in love with the guy, uh, and he was an absolute joy to write for, um, for all of us really. Uh, and he was the perfect lead actor as well in that he was, you know, he was deeply experienced, uh, has only certainly gotten even more so since then, but even you know, at that point he was, he was, he was very experienced. He was a veteran and, he knew how to set the tone for everyone else, uh, you know, the sort of tone of professionalism, but also like wonder, like he, he was excited as excited to read every draft as I was. Um, and that kind of energy is key for a showrunner to have on set because it's infectious. You know, if your number one on the call sheet has a bad attitude, then so does everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, but if your number one on the call sheet could not be more excited to be there every day, then so is everyone else. So it was, uh, it, it was definitely a, a, just a choice, wonderful piece of casting. I, I couldn't have been happier. So nice to hear. So I love to hear when the actors that you watch on screen are like truly cool people. <laughs> oh, he's, he's legit. And I, I remember my friends, um, Brian Winbrand and, and Stephen Lillian, um, talking to them when they, uh, when they got their series, God friended me. Uh, picked up that Joe was a part of. And, mm. uh, and I remember saying all of these same things. And then I remember running into Steven a little bit later saying, Oh my God, you were so right. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's just, uh, he's a gift. Oh, uh, we did look up, uh, by the way, the episode you were trying to mention, uh, second chances written uh, by, uh, Glary Gasberg. Yeah. Gary Glassberg, uh, second chances. That's right. It is yeah. that one. He's, yeah. he was God rest his soul. He, he, he moved so many people, touched so many people's lives with such a powerful storyteller, but also just such a, an absolute mensch. Um, uh, one of my dearest friends in life, and uh, I will always, always, always adore his memory, but his, his impact on Mercy Point um, was enormous. And on my career, was enormous. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate we have to go this direction with the show, but uh, it did end at seven episodes, sadly. Yeah. Did not get the amount of number of seasons that I think you and I and Nicole all hoped and the fans out there think it deserved. deserved. And um, so could you kind of give a little bit of an overview of like what happened? Um, you know, why? Yeah, what yeah it was it was kind of a perfect storm, honestly. I, I think that, you know, um, like I said, uh, we were we were originally picked up to be a companion to uh, Star Trek Voyager, um, and which was doing well on UPN at the time. But UPN, um, with no disrespect to anybody I worked with, and I worked with some amazing people there, many of whom I'm still uh, dear friends with to this day. Um, you know, I think it was a bit of a tumultuous network, particularly at that point, and um, the the affiliates around the country had a lot of sway as you would imagine affiliates would. And 
for a variety of reasons, I won't begin to understand the affiliates that particular season after Mercy Point was picked up, um, decided that they really, really wanted to push the network in a different direction, away from science fiction. They were much more interested in, uh, speaking of Brandy, uh, her series Moesha, which was a hit series on UPN. Uh, and it's it's ironic that I'm bringing this up because my new neighbor across the street was the creator of Moesha. <laughs> um, so we've talked about this, Ralph Farquhar and I. Um, but uh, the the... You know, the, the affiliates really decided that's what they wanted. And by the way, ultimately, that's what the network became. UPN then uh, sort of merged into the WB um, before the WB became the CW. And uh, but, you know, the WB was arguably much more Moesha. Uh, and that's that's what they wanted. And so they were not interested in in this sort of science fiction. So that was one issue that we had. Um going into it, just really from the very beginning. Uh, a second issue we had is that because UPN was a small network, they had a very limited marketing budget. So they pretty much would put most of their eggs into one basket every season. And that season, Mercy Point was not the basket. Uh, so we, we, we did not get the benefit of, of a big push for marketing, uh, which is always challenging for any show to this day. You know, if you, if you don't, you have to go buy those eyeballs. You have to bring people to the screen. Then once you bring them there, then you have to prove it or lose it. You've got to give them something that makes them want to keep tuning in and come back. But we never got that push. So that was that was challenging. And it was only complicated by the fact that that season when we debuted uh, was the same time as the highest rated uh, World Series at the time in <laughs> baseball history. So a, a large portion of our audience was watching baseball instead of watching Mercy Point. So that was also a major problem that continued to impact us. <laughs> um, that paired with some preemptions and that kind of thing, it's just like we just could not find our footing. Now, the, the, the humorous irony to me, having been in this business for a long time now, is I think when we were canceled, we had a, a 4.7 rating, which if you had that today, uh, you would be one of the biggest hits on television, right? <laughs> but at the time, that was, uh, that, was a, that was a low rating. And so we, we just, in spite of our best efforts, we, we, could, not, we could not rise above the din and, uh, and get the viewers we were hoping for. And so I, I think what's frustrating is that, you know, we at least would have liked to finish out a season. Yeah. Um, but again, because it was a bit of a tumultuous, smaller network, they were sort of prone at the time to to making those sorts of um, sharp and sudden decisions. So, you know, I remember I had just spent two hours on the phone getting notes on a couple of different episodes um, that ultimately never got filmed. But I had I went through all of that and uh, was all ready to go into the writer's room and say, OK, Here's what we're going to do next, and here's our marching orders. And then shortly after getting those notes, I heard from uh, my friend Eric Tannenbaum, who was running Columbia Studios at the time, to say, are you sitting down? <laughs> You've just been canceled. And so uh, it was brutal. You know, I had to, I had to go uh, immediately jump on a plane. I wanted to get to Vancouver and um, share the news with the cast in person before they heard it anywhere else. And uh, 
And it was very difficult because as you can imagine, you know, uh, crews are in this for the love of the game, but they're also in it to make a living. And so the minute you come to show up to a set as a showrunner with bad news, you know, you can look at your watch and count the seconds before everyone in your crew begins to search for new work, understandably. So it was difficult. You know, we we were in the middle of production on on an episode and um, and we had to not only finish that episode with very, with very low morale, but we also I had to look at that episode and completely change it into a series finale on the fly. Mm-hmm. So episode seven, Persistence of Vision, became just that. Um, and I, I I had to go to everyone. I had to go to everyone in the cast. I had to go to all the writers. I had to go to the crew. I remember having a, a particularly beautiful conversation with my composer, John Ehrlich, who I've worked with on a few shows since then, and saying, okay, so the score you're doing for this <laughs> has to feel like the last one. Um, you know, at, at every at every turn, in every aspect, we had we tried to stick some version of a graceful landing. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we at least had a little bit of time to attempt that. You don't always get that, by the way. I know mm-hmm. that's a big sticking point with audiences, with shows that get canceled, where it's like, you left me on a cliffhanger. Well, okay. Uh, at least I don't think we did that. Uh, but we did the best we could to stick our landing. And I remember, again, Joe Morton I'll never forget this. You know, when I came to set and I let everyone, cast and crew, know, they were understandably upset. Uh, in fact, many of the actors had just, you know, made uh, paid deposits on full-time apartments. To, they'd moved their lives, uprooted everything to go to Vancouver. And uh, But I remember Joe, you know, again, as a consummate professional, sort of taking it in embracing his cast members and then walking off set for a second, coming back moments later with a guitar, pulling out a guitar and playing some Robert Johnson blues um, in the most beautiful way. Cause it was just like, okay, we all need to take ownership of this moment. We are all bitterly disappointed. All of us had all kinds of grand plans for telling this, these stories for many years to come and for whatever reasons. And there are many, these things don't always work out. Uh, but in the meantime, you have built a family. Uh, and and so, you know, I'll never forget that moment of just sort of all of us, you know, in some cases literally, but at least figuratively, kind of holding hands and embracing each other in that moment to recognize, hey, we did the best we could. We had a great time doing it. We are sad, but we are also resolved to try and, you know, finish this up in the best way possible. And um, so that's what we did. And, you know, then I, I the, the good news, is, there are many, many, many silver linings to this. The, 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 the brightest one for me was as difficult as it was, I came away from that experience knowing that I had to do it again, that it's, it is, you know, running a television series, although it is a constant marathon uh, and a constant challenge is, is, is like I said, the greatest job in the history of jobs. And so I knew I was hooked. Uh, I knew I had to do it again. Um, but I, you know, I also learned some lessons about really, you know, looking hard at a concept to make sure that, uh, not just audiences are ready for a concept, but also to the greatest extent possible, making sure that, um, technology is ready for it. You know, I think we were about five years ahead of the VFX curve on mercy point. 
you know, five years later, you could have done most of what we did at great expense and effort on that show on your laptop. Uh, but you know, back then it was a different story. So, you know, you learn a lot, all, all kinds of lessons are learned in every show, every movie you, you work on, but, uh, but mercy point was my first and therefore it will always have a special place in my heart. Um, as the first time I got to tell those kinds of stories to a wide audience and honor the spirit of what made me want to get into the business in the first place, which is this opportunity to, um, uh, take people to places they've never been and, um, and also explore feelings at the same time that are completely universal, uh, regardless of who you are, what age you are, what race you are, where you're from socioeconomically or otherwise, there are sort of these universal truths about the value of life, um, and hope that, that ring eternal for all of us. And, uh, and so even in, in only seven episodes of Mercy Point, I hope I was able to ring those bells. And it's something that I've tried to do ever since. Oh, that was really beautiful. Beautifully said. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely would think so. I mean, as far as Mercy Point goes, yeah, that you, that, that was, that spirit was definitely there. Um, I mean, you know, the nice thing we mentioned, you know, Crackle has Mercy Point. And so, you know, now people can come back and revisit it. It's not... Um, even though it was only seven episodes and was cut short, it didn't have to be kind of, you know, long forgotten. And so why do you think people should go back today and revisit the show? Well, I think uh, audiences uh, are in all the best ways sort of more accepting, first of all, of short seasons. That's that's the reality that folks like me <laughs> are working in now. True. So just take away one episode from what is a traditional eight episode order now <laughs> and, uh, and, and know that, you know, in seven episodes, I, we're going to take you somewhere, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, uh, in terms of genre, but also in terms of uh, an emotional journey. And uh and so I think those seven episodes can certainly stand alone in that regard, um, can introduce you to new worlds and interesting new concepts um, that at the same time are grounded in those life or death stakes of what we all love about uh, medical dramas. So, you know, it's not a giant commitment, uh, uh, but uh, I think it's a valuable one. And, um, and please go watch it while you still can. Yes, go watch it. It's great. Maybe, maybe... Uh... I didn't mention this yet on the podcast, but we chatted before this um, of, for an article for Twin Cities Geek that's going to come out about Mercy Point as well. Maybe with this and the article, they'll get some uh, some buzz back on the show. I really hope so. You know, again, I credit you guys with uh, with putting it on my radar because prior to this, I you know, I'm probably one of the only people who still had copies of all seven episodes, and uh, and even at that, they were sitting on you know. Uh, old uh, beta masters and uh, I think a couple of DVDs. So, you know, the notion that it is, it is back out there and available, I know it has delighted not only me, but, you know, I've spoken directly to uh, a few of the cast members who are certainly excited about it as well because they hadn't seen it. I know Maria Del Mar, uh, namely, had, had, had not seen any of the episodes since wow. back in the day. So she was super excited to share them with her daughter uh, mm -hmm. in particular. Awesome. And uh so they're out there. So please go see them while you can. Well, we should mention, we did watch, I think like one or two on 
on YouTube through YouTube actually because Crackle was having some technical difficulties. Uh, yeah, there, there's right. a YouTube channel that has them. Like I think like from a VHS recording back on UPN. There's like some you could see some of the old ads. It's, it's it was kind of yeah. a, kind of a trip. Oh, a, a total time capsule approach. Yeah. Okay, I love it. <laughs> Um, well, we won't take too much more of your time, Trey. And thanks again for joining us. This just popped in my head, though. I was just one, I was just thinking you mentioned like scripts that you had written that never got filmed. I know like um, some uh, show creators who've had shows cut short or like have high fandoms. They've looked at like putting some of the episodes out as like either like a book or a comic book. Have you ever looked into doing something like that? Yeah, it's something that we actually did when I was on Revolution. Um, yeah. After our second season, we had uh, we had a whole story for you know how how it was ultimately going to be wrapped up, and so uh, a couple of our writers' assistants were then uh, after we all worked together to sort of break out that story. Then a couple of our writers' assistants were assigned the task of of creating a, a comic series that would sort of help us gracefully finish that story out. You know, I, I you know. I, I, I never have approached that particular possibility on Mercy Point, although maybe I should. I think what I would what I would frankly love to do is have another run at this, <laughs> um, either either as Mercy Point or as I mentioned previously, you know, within the Trek universe or even within the the Star Wars universe. Um, you know, I, re I remember at one point recently, relatively recently, uh, being in one of my son's rooms when they were playing. I don't remember if it was Halo or they were playing some video game, a future centered uh, kind of shoot 'em up game. And I remember thinking and saying out loud, probably like an annoying dad, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I wish that there were a, a, a side of this game you could play where your, your goal is not to shoot people, but your goal is to go and save people who've been shot. Mm. And, uh, and, I re and I remember thinking, you know, I've thought that same thing over the years you know, again, as a fan of both the Trek universe and the Star Wars universes, both of which have plenty of conflict in them, yeah, uh, and plenty of bloodshed, and mm -hmm. uh, and and so I, re you know, there have been a number of times when I've thought, why why can't this also be a part of those worlds? It should be, um, because even though there are there's certainly hope to be found in both the Trek worlds and in the Star Wars worlds, you know, I think arguably uh, a constant and powerful source of hope. Are, are the direct uh, efforts by medical healthcare professionals to to keep people and or extraterrestrials, species of all kinds, alive, to to value life um, and the hope that it represents. So, you know, I, what I would really love is another run at this. So if you guys can make that happen, uh, just show me where to sign up. All right. Well, we, we hope for that too. I mean, fingers crossed for that, uh, something to come of it. <laughs> yeah, great. I mean certainly the yeah. yeah concept well thank you so much for uh being willing to chat with us about mercy point and your experiences it's it has been a blast it's enlightening it's a lot of fun to it's a lot of fun to after like discovering a show like that to like talk to the creator <laughs> so. uh, it's my absolute pleasure i greatly appreciate the opportunity and uh i'll see you guys on the next show yeah are there any uh, like social media stuff you want to plug any where people could find oh, you? Yeah, you can always follow me at Trey Calloway um, on Instagram, uh, also on Twitter. Uh, and uh, I've expanded that universe out into, uh, oh my goodness, post and spoutable now. So, uh, so go find me there and, uh, and I'll look forward to connecting with everybody directly. Uh, in the social media world, uh, as well as uh, in the entertainment world, depending on what, what pops up next.
Awesome. Well, again, thank you for your time and uh, have a great week. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, and listening in on our interview with Trey Calloway. Yeah, it was a blast. Thank you so much, everybody. I'm And special thanks again to Trey for, for joining us and being yes. willing to chat with us. It was, it was super fun. And uh, I think we'll be back into Trek for uh, next time you hear us. Uh, until then, uh, remember to follow us uh, at DSLovePod on Twitter and rate and subscribe, review if you, if you can. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Love long and prosper. Bye.